This is Ben. This is the Spider and the Fly. Episode number four. Four. Congratulations, Ben. We made it to number four. We made it. We're there. We're here. It's right now. We are here. A lot of shit has happened since the last time we recorded. But before we get too deep into the podcast, I think we should do our little opening ceremony. Forgot to turn my phone off. (laughs) Is it important? You can, you can, can you mute it real quick or pause it real quick? Yeah, here any bad energy that's out there we don't want bad energy we want only the good creative energy on this podcast we also want clear articulation of our speech that's something we always say always we are never going against the victim or we are never speaking ill of anyone except for you know the fuckers we could poke a little fun at the victim Okay. In in my story. Okay. Well, you in know? general. Yeah. You know, we never want to do victim blaming, right. and um, we just want to tell our story. We are not by any means experts on anything, <laughs> and we just going to tell the story. That's all we're doing here. My story is the murder of Dylan Redwine. Mm-hmm. This took place in November of 2012. And I think at the time it was kind of not as much in the news because at the same time there was the death of this little girl. Her name was Jessica Ridgeway. Okay. Around that same time. So she died in October. And like I said, this happened in November. So I think a lot of what was going on with her case and everything that was going on with her kind of overshadowed the whole case with Dylan. I remember it when it was happening and everything, and I always was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep my eye on that. Mm-hmm. And so this has literally been going on from 2012 until now in 2021. Right. So I'm going to just start here at the beginning. On November 18, 2012, Dylan Redwine went for a court order visit to his father's house in Bayfield, Colorado. Bayfield is about 30 minutes outside of Durango. Mm-hmm. At the time of his disappearance, his parents, Elaine Hatfield and Mark Redwine, were divorced. Right. Uh, Elaine was living in Colorado Springs and had sole custody of Dylan with the stipulations of the court order visits for Mark. Right. I will get a little more into that. Oh, I'm sorry. I need to start off at the beginning of my sources. My first source was the DenverChannel.com. That's Denver's Channel 7. Right. Horror stories on YouTube um, solved by Savannah Bymere. I believe that's how she pronounced her last name. I never seen a video where she pronounced her last name, so I'm hoping to pronounce it right. She's also on YouTube and the Dr. Phil Show. At the time, when all this was going on, like I said, his parents was divorced. And Dylan didn't really want to go to stay with his dad. Like, didn't really, he didn't, wasn't comfortable when he went to go visit. I heard a couple of things. One being that he was bored whenever he came there because he's in this, uh, Mark is living in this very small town. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, not he's bored as a kid because there's not a lot to do. It's just like in the middle of nowhere, kind of. Mm-hmm. Very small community. Mm-hmm. But he did have friends in the neighborhood, and I'll get back onto that later. But I heard that. That was the first thing I heard. The second thing I heard was that he actually went to court and told the judge that he didn't, you know, wasn't comfortable going over to his dad's house because every time he went over there, his dad would talk bad about his mom and his brother. He has an older brother named Corey who they also share the same parents, uh, Mark and Elaine. 
Um, but I think I also believe that Mark has two other kids from a prior marriage. But he would talk bad about his brother and his mom, so he didn't really want to go over there. Uh, but that was the two, two reasons why I heard why he didn't want to go there. But they were court-ordered visits, so he had to go. Right. This is around um, his uh, Thanksgiving vacation. Dylan flew from Colorado Springs to Durango. Um, he texted his mother when he got to the airport, letting him know that he had made it and Mark had picked him up. After this, we are basically taking everything that Mark is saying into what happened. Right. Right. So right. Elaine acknowledges that she did talk to the last time she spoke with Dylan was uh, around 930 p.m. Mm-hmm. on November 18th. Mm-hmm. This is around the time that he's getting into the airport. So Mark says that they went to a Walmart and there is footage of him in the Walmart. Mm-hmm. Now, I was confused about the footage at first. But two different things I heard about this footage at Walmart. So one of them was the after he disappeared, he was in this Walmart. He's seen on this Walmart. And then another one is that he's in the Walmart with Mark when he first got into town mm-hmm. on the 18th. So I'm not sure which one is right. But I did see on multiple things that there was footage of him and Mark in the Walmart the same night when he came in. Um, to Bayfield. So Mark says they went to Walmart and then he says they went to a McDonald's, but there's no no evidence that they went to McDonald's. So there's nothing, no receipts, no camera footage, no nothing that they did actually go to McDonald's after leaving Walmart. They're supposed to have gone home and laid down for the rest of the night after that. Like I said, Elaine says the last time she talked to him was about 9.30 p.m. on November 18th and it was kind of weird that she hadn't talked to him anymore that night because he would be on his phone and texting her a lot more because he was at his dad's house and he didn't really want to be there, you know. Mm-hmm. So she said he wouldn't normally go to sleep about midnight and she didn't hear from him anymore after they left the airport. So she did think that that was weird. The next day, November 19th, Mark says that he wakes up early in the morning and he attempts to wake up Dylan to see if he wants to go into town with him. Going into town is going into Durango. Right. Um, so that's if he wants to go into town to run errands with him. And he says that Dylan declined, saying that he wanted to stay home and sleep. So Mark goes into Durango about by himself around 7.30. He leaves Dylan at home. The errands that he was supposed to have been running are going to his attorney's office and going to his company's payroll office. Mm-hmm. So then he makes it back home around 11.30 a.m., And when he comes back home, Dylan is not there. He's not concerned immediately that Dylan's not there because Dylan's 13. I don't think I ever said that. But he's 13 years old. His words exactly was he's known to stump around in the backwoods, you know, playing. So I thought that that's where he was at. So he decides he's going to take a nap. (laughs) So he takes a nap for about an hour. And he wakes up and Dylan is still not home. Now he's a bit more concerned. Because he's a bit more concerned, he leaves his house and he goes over to one of Dylan's friend's houses. His friend's name is Tristan. So he goes over to his friend's house. Tristan lives about five miles away, okay? Dylan is, he's 13 years old. He can't drive or anything. Is he really going to walk five miles away to go to a friend's house? Like It just seems kind of far as a distance to walk. You know, just to go over to your friend's house. Mm -hmm. So anyway, he goes over to Tristan's house and he does speak with Tristan and Dylan is not there. But Tristan does tell him that they were supposed to hang out that day and he had been sending him multiple text messages. Dylan never responded to any of them. So he goes over to another friend's house. So after he goes to the other friend's house... At this point, Dylan's not there, obviously, and so he contacts Elaine. He sends her a text message, 
And he's saying, well, have you seen or heard from Dylan? Mm -hmm. So she's concerned because she's fucking six hours away in Colorado Springs. Why would she have seen him? You know, and this is like last night, the last time I talked to my son, he was at the airport with you, you know. So, no, I haven't seen him. So she's concerned and she drives. She makes a drive from Colorado Springs to Durango, her and her oldest son, Corey. Wow, okay. Because, you know, what the fuck do you That's mean? Weird. Where's my son? That's a weird call to get out of blue. Yeah, a weird text. When I just yesterday, I fucking dropped my son off to you. So. I never really got it straight about who put in the missing persons report. I see multiple things that Mark says himself that after he contacts Elena, he put in the missing persons report. But there's all kinds of other things. Everything that I read and watched shows that Elaine is actually the one who put in the missing persons report en route to Durango. So I don't know. I didn't get it clear, but somewhere along the way, mm-hmm. somebody put in a missing persons report. Well, it's glad somebody at least did that. At least somebody did. I don't think it was Mark, but I don't know. Because everything else that I've seen, it was not him. It was Elaine. All right, I'm going to crack this real quick. Cool. <laughs> so, at this same time when Elaine is on her way to uh, Bayfield or Durango, the police are starting their initial search. So, of course, police be police. And they keep the possibility open that Dylan has run away. Because he doesn't really want to be there with his dad. You know, they don't really get along. And uh, the last visit that he had didn't really go well. They, like I said, police be police. And they keep that possibility open that they think he ran away. So they're searching for him, but also handling as a runaway, not a missing person. Everyone who's close to Dylan and his family, they're like, no, this is out of character for him. He would never run away. Even if, you know, he didn't want to be there with his dad because it was quite appointed. And so he wouldn't run away. So, and he's, like, making friends to go hang out with his friends and everything. Like, why would he run away? So, even though they're still on the fence about Dylan actually being missing, they organized search parties of the area Mark lived in, including a, um, I can't, I never got it clear if this is a lake or reservoir, but it's called, uh, Vallecito. I, the first thing I seen was a reservoir, but then I seen like two other places where it's a lake, Vallecito Lake. So they are searching this lake. It's in the middle of November, so it's fucking cold, right. you know. So they can only have searchers going in there for like 30 minutes at a time, and they can only go in once per day. Right. Because it's fucking cold. It's November in Colorado. They search this fucking lake and it doesn't turn up anything. They also had like boats that they put out there with some kind of, um, I forgot what they're called, but it was like some kind of technology where it can see down in the water to see if there's like a body, obviously, or something down in there, you know. Mm-hmm. It didn't turn up anything. Okay, so they also discovered that all of his belongings that he took from his mom's house is also missing. So, including a, a backpack and his cell phone. Because he didn't have his GPS thing on his phone, so he's 13, you know, he don't got no GPS on, they couldn't track where he was at. So, even if they wouldn't need the phone to track it, but they, you know, would need him to have the technology so that they'd be able to do it anyway. And he didn't have it on there, so they was unable to track it, but they did get his cell phone records from, you know, the cell phone company. And... What it shows is that his phone has been turned off since the night of November 18th. Basically, like, after he's spoken to his mom 
letting her know that he got there. They also do see in the search, I mean, in the uh, phone history that uh, he has multiple text messages from all his friends that I was telling you that live in that area. They knew he was coming that day and they were supposed to hang out with him the next day. So it was like pretty early in the morning, probably like 6.30 in the morning when his friends start sending him messages asking him where he's at because they were supposed to, you know, hang out that day and he never responds to anybody's text message, none of his friends' text messages. Hmm. Um, so at this point, the police, they're still handling this thing as a runaway, which is ridiculous, but they want the whole family to do a polygraph. So the whole family takes it. I don't know who they consider the whole family. Obviously the mom and the dad, and I'm assuming the brother. Uh, but everybody takes it, and everybody passes it except for Mark. So his results come back inconclusive. And after his results come back inconclusive, everybody's like urging him to take it again, you know, because now you looked, you look very fucking suspicious, you know, because you were the last person that we know of to see him and your polygraph came back inconclusive. So he declines to take it again. You know, he just doesn't do it. After all searches for uh, Dylan yield nothing, police now change gears and believe foul play may be involved in Dylan's disappearance. By now, it's December 2nd. Mm -hmm. The first vigil is held for Dylan, or Dylan, excuse me. Uh, The first of many that Mark would not attend. He never came to any fundraising events or uh, birthday parties that Elaine held for Dylan since his disappearance. Like, he didn't come to any of those things. No vigils, no birthday parties, no fundraisers, no nothing. People in the community start to protest him (laughs) because... You're not doing anything. He didn't participate in any of the searches. And then you're not coming to, like, vigils and everything that they're holding. So these people are literally sitting outside of his house protesting against him. And then it's making you really look suspicious at this point. So he just wasn't attending any of these events at all? Didn't go to any of them. Huh. You didn't go to any of them. This is your son, you know? And if you are truly innocent and you truly want to know where he was, why wouldn't you come to any of that and participate, you know? People handle things different, but I just find that weird. And so the community definitely found that shit weird because, like I said, they're protesting against him in front of his own fucking house. Mm. So by January 24th, um, there's a $50,000 reward um, offered to anybody that can give information about his disappearance. And like I said, they're having these fundraisers, they're having vigils, they're doing all these things, and they're still searching, searching for him and everything. Um, by the time all this is going on. By this point, this is two months later. In efforts to speak with Mark, Elaine takes him to the fucking Dr. Phil show. Okay, so this is like, like I told you, when this first happened, I always kept my eye on it because they just kind of brought it up in the news and then that was it, you know? And I, like I said, it's because that Jessica Ridgeway thing was going on. It wasn't really a big thing. I mean, it was, but it wasn't. You know, like hers took precedent over... It was a very high-profile... Yeah. Profile murder, yeah. Yeah. So her everything that happened with her kind of took president over what was happening with him because at this point he's still missing. I guess he's not talking to, Mark is not talking to Elaine. So she brings him to the Dr. Phil show. And I I couldn't find like the whole episode, but I watched a lot of clips and a lot of videos uh, around the whole episode. I think it was part, like two parts to it or something. Mm-hmm. 
And I watched all the clips that I could find and everything. I was really looking for the whole episode so I could watch it. But I couldn't. I couldn't find it anywhere. The The purpose of the show is for, like I said, Elaine to be able to talk to Mark. And so that they can find Dylan. So they bring on, it's her, it's the mom, Elaine, and the son, Corey. And Mark also, obviously, is on there. They talk about, um, you know, like the polygraph test, about why he didn't take it again. The older son is like, completely calls Mark, Mark. He doesn't call him dad. <laughs> and he's like, he's a liar, and he's crazy, and I'm pretty sure that he killed my brother. Like, they are voicing it, like, we we know you have something to do with it, you know. The way you act, you're not trying to help us with any of these things. You don't come around, you don't do this, you don't do that. He also, Mark also brings in this woman, Karen, and this is supposed to be his ex-girlfriend. Okay. And she dated him for six months. Uh-huh. Now, keep in mind that he was with this Elaine, Dylan's mom, for 18 fucking years, okay? So she's totally out of pocket for even coming on the show. But it's more than bringing her on there to have some kind of who, somebody who backs him. Because the whole world sees that he's guilty and everybody's treating him as such so he needs somebody to have his back on the show Mm -hmm. so they bring on this karen i didn't get her last name but um her name is karen of course and (laughs) she's like on there saying well the whole time i was with him i never seen that he did anything to his son i couldn't imagine that he did anything to him and uh elaine is wrong for saying that he is the one who did it and like completely talking shit about Elaine. So Dr. Phil, like, cuts her fucking short. And he's like, basically tell her, like, he's like, well, I'm glad you came on here and you gave your perspective and your opinion, but, however, bitch, like, you... (laughs) Dr. Phil said bitch? No, he didn't say bitch. But you know he was thinking it and he wanted to say it. He was like, (laughs) looking at her, he was like, no, you're wrong. You're not right for saying anything about this woman whose son is missing. Right. You know, like, you have nothing to say to her. You are his ex-girlfriend. You have nothing to do with this, you know. So, like I said, he's like, well, while I appreciate you giving your motherfucking opinion, it's not necessary is basically what he's telling her. Yeah, that was crazy. The whole thing was crazy. So, they asked him to take another polygraph at the Dr. Phil show. He agrees to it. And then says, you know, no, I don't want to do it because not the, that same day he's like, well, I'm too anxious and everything for it to come out good at this test. So let me calm down and I'll come back and take it tomorrow. So he comes back the next day and then he's giving the um, polygraph administrator the runaround and he don't know if he should do it this way. And this bothers him and this and that and this and that. And I don't think he still didn't actually take the polygraph on a Dr. Phil show. Right. And it was all these reasons about why he didn't do it, you know. Right. The main reason why you don't want to take it is because you're going to fail that shit because you're lying. <laughs> so he doesn't take the polygraph test. And Dr. Phil's show doesn't really, you know, result in anything as in, you know, what happened to him. But it, I guess it helped in the case of Elaine being able to confront him because she was definitely looking him in his face like, I think you had something to do with our son's disappearance. And she's asking him straight in his face, like, did you do it? You know, and he's like, no. And what kind of mother are you to even apply that I would do something like that? Like, where do you bring her mother into question in that case? You know, right. like, what kind of mother is she? The kind whose fucking son is missing, you know? So anyway... That was the Dr. Phil show, and it's kind of spectacle. Okay. Yeah, it was. That was. I, I couldn't. I couldn't find the whole episode, but I just seen clips and everything. And 
that was just crazy. So, the case is kind of at a standstill at this point. Now, I do want to mention throughout this whole time, there has been multiple searches at Mark's house. And they have brought in multiple cadaver dogs a few times into his house. Okay. The dogs do catch a scent, but, you know, they don't find his body or anything. Like I said, it's still at a standstill until uh, June of 2013. Partial remains were found. They were found to be Dylan's. When I say partial, that means there was no skull. And his body is found about 10 miles away from Mark's home. On one of something that I've seen on YouTube, you know, I, I don't know how true it is, but Mark has been quoted as saying, well, we won't know what happened to Dylan until his skull is found. And it's kind of weird to say, right? Like, how do you know that? You know, is it like you just have partial remains as in like the body or whatever, but... Is it because they haven't, they didn't find nothing like the, um, what they call them, anthropologists? They didn't find anything on the body, so that's why you say you, we have to find his skull? Like, I just found that kind of weird, you know. So, okay, so if they didn't find the skull, that means at some point the head was removed. <coughs> exactly. Or that the body had been decomposed and... A squirrel ran off with the skull? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm getting there. It's found, his body or his remains are found 10 miles away from Mark's home. That's first. Um, Then he says that weird quote. So then two more years after that, in November 2015, a group of hikers do find his skull. And, you know, it's determined that it is his. And I have this quote here that I got from uh, Channel Denver 7. It was like on in there in a news article. Um, but it says, anthropologists who studied the skull determined the injuries were consistent with blunt force trauma in two locations, according to the indictment. The skull also had two small markings consistent with tool marks from a knife, the indictment show. So this is how they're determining his case of death. Right. Uh, pretty soon after all, his body is found and they determine that it's him. Uh, wildlife experts are coming out and they're saying that there's no fucking way that any animal in the area would have taken his body 10 miles away. And then it's like another, it's probably like another five miles or something where they found the head or the skull, excuse me. You know, there's no way an animal did that. Like uh, a person would have had to move his body that far because an animal wouldn't take a body that far. You're going, they would eat it or whatever right there. You know, they're not taking it a mile away, <laughs> let alone 10. And then another five, wherever the skull was discarded. Mm-hmm. So with that knowledge, they rule his death a homicide. And they name Mark as a person of interest. Now, real quick, I'll go into that. He's saying he's not concerned about being named a person of interest because he doesn't know what that means. He doesn't know what being a person of interest means in in this case. And nobody ever came to him and explained to him and told him that he was a person of interest. So he wasn't concerned. He moves on with his life. (laughs) Throughout the whole disappearance, his home had been searched multiple times. And on two separate searches, cadaver dolls did pick up a scent in Mark's home. One on the couch and one on the uh, in the washing machine. And the dogs also caught a scent on the bed of his truck. And throughout all of this, they did also find blood stains in his house. When they tested all of the blood, it came back that it was Dylan's blood. So with all of this, they are able to issue an arrest warrant because the, the cadaver dogs have caught the scent in your home and in the uh, truck bed. And they have blood that's throughout the whole house that 
comes back to be Dylan's. And it's like substantial amounts of blood, you know, obviously enough to be tested. So they um, issue an arrest warrant. And in July of 2017, mm. uh, Mark is arrested in Billingham, Washington. So I didn't, I didn't get into it. I could have. But I didn't get into why he moved to Washington. Um, but that's where they found him. And so they arrest him for second-degree murder and child abuse resulting in death. Um, Mark is held on one million cash bond, and they extradite him back to Durango. He pled not guilty. From the very beginning, he said he never had anything to do with this, and he pleads not guilty. After when they arrested him, the trial was set for September uh, 17, 2019. In July of 2019, one of his defense attorneys gets charged with domestic violence. Whoa. And missed a couple of his court dates. So the judge basically fucking fired his ass. So they issue him another public defender because this person cannot right. do it. So right, 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 right. they issue another one. And then because that happened, you know, they pushed back his case again. And then the world is hit with COVID. So it was supposed to start at this time, April 2nd, 2020. And then due to COVID, they pushed uh-huh. it back to May. And then it was a mistrial due to COVID because people on his defense team were not following COVID procedures. So they pushed it back again. (laughs) And this is as of uh, November 2020. They pushed it back again. And um, I had to look into it to see, you know, when was they supposed to be doing it again. Mm -hmm. And so I just found, so as of January 5th, 2021, his trial is scheduled for April 12th, 2021 in La Planta County. Okay. So what I want to talk about really quickly is the motive for this whole thing. Okay. Why he would kill his own son. There's these weird fucking pictures, and I have seen them, and uh, I will show them to you if you want to see. Let's post them on our Instagram. I don't think we should post them. What are they? They're fucking disturbing. What are they? So what they are is a picture of red wine in women's clothing. So it looks like he has like a negligee or, you know, something on like that. Uh-huh. And it looks like a bra and a diaper. Okay. Another one of the pictures, he has the diaper that looks like it has shit in it and he's eating it. He's eating the shit. Is it really shit? Or I don't know. Is it movie magic? I don't know. <laughs> because it's so fucking weird that he is dressing like a woman. Uh-huh. Who is to fucking say if it's really shit or not, right? Like, I don't know. It looks close enough to me, and I almost threw up in my mouth. (laughs) I don't know, Ben. But Dylan and his brother, Corey, found these pictures. And they had, like, on, like, I think the last visit that I seen, the last visit that Dylan had with him was not a good visit. Like, they fought with each other and um, always fought with each other because he didn't want to be there. And I'm I'm getting the impression that he was a piece of shit dad, you know, so he didn't want to be around. And they got into it the last time he visited. So the next time he told him, like, I'm going to tell about these fucking pictures that you have in women's clothing and eating shit out of a diaper. So how did they come across these pictures? I'm not clear. They just found them in his house, but I'm not I'm not clear how they found them exactly. But they found these pictures and like you can look them up. You can yourself and anybody who's listening to this, 
you can look it up where I was watching it with the girl on uh, Samantha. Her show Solved on uh, YouTube. I think she does a pretty good job. Uh, but anyway, she's like, look, you can look it up if you want. It's pretty fucking disturbing, you know. And I agree with her. You can look it up if you want. I don't think we should post no shit like that on Instagram. No, on Instagram, they would probably take it down anyway. <laughs> but if you want to look at it and you want to get a visual of that nasty shit, then you could go ahead and look it up yourself. Google that thing. You know I'm going to. I know you are. And how could you not? Because once she said, <laughs> once I found out about it, I had to Google it myself. Oh. And she was like, they're pretty disturbing. I was like, oh my God, I have to see it. You know, but I had seen, like, I had heard about these pictures, but I didn't know that they were, like, you know, for the public viewing. It, I found it instantly, okay? Yeah. So you can look that thing up yourself. So what they think is that um, somewhere along the way, Dylan brought that up to him. And was like, yeah, I seen these pictures and I'm going to tell on your ass so that I don't ever have to come here anymore, you know? And they think that that was what set him off to kill him. Because in any other case or reason, what was the reason would he have to do it, you know? Why did he have to kill him? I don't know. Maybe he's ashamed. Hmm. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, he's ashamed. Murder? Is that your next, your next thought? Of your son? He's trying to blackmail his father maybe he's 13 maybe i think it was more like you know like you can't tell me nothing to do like they maybe they had an argument and he's like i found out about you like you're gross <laughs> i seen you in in women's in a woman's nightgown with shit in your mouth <laughs> that's heinous <laughs> i don't know but that's just what the talks of the motive you know, one of the things that obviously came up as into why he would kill him. I've never heard of embarrassment. Well, I suppose embarrassment. If you're embarrassed so bad, would it make you kill? I mean, think about this. From what I was hearing about him. Now, I think from what I found and what I've seen, they both, both parents blame each other for being alcoholics. I believe Elaine more than I believe him, obviously. She was like, I was married to you for 18 years. I know your reaction to things. I know your anger. And if this is something, so you have a fetish for this type of thing, right? And your 13-year-old son comes up to you and tells you that he found it and he's going to expose you. This is something that you're trying to keep secret because this is your separate life, your, uh, your secret life that nobody knows about. And so, you know, he snapped. Her, that's what she's telling him when she's like asking him if he hurt the son, if he killed him. You know, it's like, I, I was with you for 18 years. I know how quick your anger can turn. So it could have been something that was just out of rage real quick. Like maybe he brought mm -hmm. that up to him and then it was like rageful, you know. But mm -hmm. it seems like they had a very contentious relationship anyway. So uh, who knows? You know, if he's somebody who can fly off the handle real quick, who knows? At this point where we can only speculate because they, you know, there's no evidence. Like there's evidence of blood in the house and, you know, obviously the cadaver dogs caught the scent. You just could just speculate about what really happened. And all evidence points to you, but that's all we have. It's like, it points to you. It doesn't give us the full story as to why you would kill your own son. And he, like, pled guilty and has been maintaining his innocence through the whole thing, even though his actions don't fall in line with that. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Yeah, I guess, you know, we will, I will keep people posted as this thing goes on. As of right now, it's scheduled for April 12, 2021. 
So we'll see. That's just right around the corner. Yeah. Two missed trials he's had already. And this thing has been going on since 2012. You know, like, I hope that in the end of it, his mother does get to know what was the motive behind it, what really happened. She deserves to know what happened to her son. And I also hope that he is brought to justice. Because, like I said, all of the evidence points to him. So if it's not him, you know, it'll be fucking weird. But I hope that he's brought to justice for it if he is indeed the killer. But all signs point to him. So I will keep everybody posted as that thing goes on. We are on the bleeding edge here on the spider and the fly. Like, this is a very recent story. Like, it's, you know, to be continued. Yeah. And that's pretty exciting. That is. Something that we can keep people posted on, you know, later news. So I will. We will keep you posted. I will keep you posted on that. Nice, nice. So as of right now, that is the story of Dylan Redwine. Cheers. Cheers. Any other questions you have about this particular story that you feel like didn't really get answered adequately enough for you? Yeah, the the reason behind it. The motive. You know, the motive, yeah. Like, it doesn't sit well with me. That's what people are saying about this picture and everything. And then that's a whole nother episode into itself. Like, what kind of weird fetishing are you on? <laughs> What kind of weird shit are you on? You know, you like to eat shit. I'm not going to shame anybody for their fetish. Unless it's eating shit. <laughs> I, think, I think if you're eating shit, you know, come on. That's what I was about to say. Like, I don't shame anybody for anybody's fetish either. Everybody has one, you know. That is, ugh. Right. That's too much for me. You know, yeah. Two girls in a cup vibes. You know what I'm saying? Out of a diaper. Oh, God. It's so disgusting. Two girls in the cup was the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. So there's that. That's not real. <laughs> That's not real. That's not real. I hope it's not. No. I hope it's not been. Anyway. <laughs> no, I that was my only questions like I have about it for real. Is, um mm-hmm. like why? Why? Like your own son, it's uh it's crazy. This is the story of Timothy J. Boham and the murder of JP Kelso. J.P. Kelso was a successful business owner. He was pretty much a uh, like a financier or at least a debt collector. Uh, for what I can gather was he was the type of guy that would buy up debt dirt cheap from debt collectors and then uh, send in his people to kind of go in and try to accumulate money from these debts. So it's basically, he was a very wealthy guy that dealt with, with people's debt. So he was making quite a bit of money and that's kind of what how we became successful but on november 16th of 2009 the body of successful businessman jp kelso was found in a bathtub by a housekeeper in his upscale mansion in denver but uh, i also read something that said his house was in cherry creek okay on 7th oh yeah he had some money yeah he was a wealthy businessman uh, being the owner of the collection agency By all accounts, he was notably flashy and often had flaunted his wealth everywhere he went. He was always dressed in expensive suits, he bought and wore expensive watches, and would often drive around in his custom-made Bentley. Oh, shit. Yeah, so he was rolling in the dough. (laughs) Yeah, he was. Rolling with it. He was also openly gay and kept a number of younger lovers. 
Having a larger-than-life personality, he was often seen living it up in the downtown Denver scene with a plethora of handsome boys, male models, and the occasional male prostitute. So, when is the time frame of this? Did you tell me? So, this is 2009. Oh. This when is, this went down. This is quite early for, I mean, late for you. Yeah, I usually do some of the older older stories. Yeah. Um, but this is one I had to dig up from the late 2000s. Okay. Relatively recent. Yes. Recent enough. And recent I found enough. some, researching this, I found some really cool, interesting facts, really, um, about the whole thing. Okay. So, he was seen around town, um, male models, male prostitutes. He was openly gay. He lived a very fabulous lifestyle. But he also had a reputation for being particularly abrasive. He was a cutthroat businessman that found success in buying debt and working in collections. Though he built up his collection agency into a successful business, he also had a history of white-collar crime and embezzlement. It's noted that he had a record of verbally berating and abusing his employees and would often call out individuals publicly when in the office. So in front of everybody, he would just tear into somebody. He was that type of guy. When police had found the body of Kelso, the initial impression was that it may have been a robbery gone wrong. He was shot in the head and placed in a bathtub. Detectives quickly deduced that he had been shot in his home and the body was moved to the bathtub. Phone records and building security footage allowed police to finger their first suspect. And that was Timothy Boham. Okay. Now, Timothy J. Boham was a man that made a name for himself. He had gained plenty of attention in the modeling world. At the time of his arrest, he had an illustrious career in the gay porn industry. In fact, when he turned himself into the authorities at the Arizona-Mexico border... He was on the cover of Playgirl magazine in November of 2006. So as he was getting arrested, he was on the magazines. Okay. So that's pretty wild. I'm just trying to get a visual. Yeah, he's you can look good. up his photos. He's now, pretty good looking. Yeah. You know, his his float photos are probably a little more flattering than the guy in your story. But yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So he was a porn star. Okay. Uh, and he did uh, both gay and straight porn. Okay. He made a name for himself had an illustrious career in the, in the gay porn industry, namely. Only four years prior, he had graced the cover of Freshman magazine, and later he was also featured on the cover, he was on the cover of Mandate. Though he was most notably remembered for his roles in adult films, Marcus Allen made more than a splash, performing both gay and straight films produced by Chi-Chi LaRue, a flamboyant gay film producer, and discovered Timothy Boham as a talent. So this guy, Chi-Chi LaRue, discovered him as a as a porn star on the streets of LA. He said, Hey, you got a good look. Have you ever considered working in films? And that's kinda how he got introduced. At least that's what he says. But what was his porno his name? His porno name is Marcus Allen. Oh. Which is some generic ass shit. Yeah, first Marcus of all. Allen. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently he got the name from a football player whose name was also Marcus Allen. He was a good football player, apparently, who made his money and got out of the game. Okay. So he didn't play football. He was hoping to get in and out of the porno industry. But things didn't exactly work out that way because he was actually kind of a hit. Yeah. You know, at least he was on the cover of magazines when all this shit went down. Okay. Yeah. There's also evidence that suggests that he had done a scene with porn star Jenna Jameson Uh that was never released following his incarceration. Following his incarceration? Right. So they filmed it and supposedly it was never released because it turned out that he did what he did. And murdered this guy 
uh, J.P. Kelso. Okay. Which we will find out. This is how it went down. I'm very surprised that this shit happened in Colorado. <laughs> yeah, in Denver. <laughs> yeah. In the heart of Denver, the Mile High City. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very surprised, and I'm like, I honestly don't think that I ever heard this before. I came across this case um, on Murderpedia. Okay. And I, I, I noticed because, like, they have photos for the people, yes. and he had photos, and it's like, oh. He's got lots of photos. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like some of those was just raunchy that I was just looking at. I had to close that down. <laughs> Getting all hot and bothered. So, like hot and disgusted. Like, oh my God, I can't believe they're showing this on Google right now. It's nasty, man. <laughs> it's, it's the gay porn industry. Uh, I'm not gay bashing by any means. I just wasn't expecting to see any of that. Yeah, well, okay. Su- surprise. The lifestyle was beginning to take its toll. Timothy J. Boham was looking for ways to expand his career options. It was actually Marcus Allen who J.P. Kelso recognized when they first met. Recognizing the actor from his porno movies, he became acquainted with Timothy and began to cultivate what would become a sugar daddy, sugar baby relationship with Boham. Boham, at the time, also had a girlfriend that he was seeing. Their relationship may have been the reason that Boham was ready to give up the glamorous world of adult entertainment. Okay. Life leading up to Boham's career had been tragic. Boham came from a broken home with an alcoholic, abusive father. Unresolved trauma from his violent upbringing had left Boham with a very short temper, giving him a reputation as a hothead. And though his family was extremely religious, they shunned Timothy for having a black girlfriend who herself had struggled with drug addiction and would eventually become pregnant. When Timothy's father had died, he was allowed to live his life. But that life would soon be paved with fresh tragedy when his girlfriend, unable to kick her habit, dies, leaving Timothy Boham to care for his daughter all by himself. It was this set of circumstances that forced Timothy to make the move to Denver and seek employment with the modeling company Maxim Talent Agency. It was after he had made a name doing some minor modeling gigs that he was convinced that in order to get noticed, he would move to Los Angeles in order to pursue his professional modeling career. He finds a way to travel between L.A. and Denver, spending every other week there and networking where he can on the West Coast. During this time, his daughter is staying with his mother. And uh, I've heard accounts that like while he was staying in L.A., he was like trying to get things going, but because he was bouncing back and forth, it made things difficult for him. He was trying to get everything to handle his family and everything. And during this time, his mother and his family were getting impatient with, with the child, the daughter. Because mm. she was black? I don't know if that's it. From what I gathered from it, it kind of made it seem like the girl was a burden to them. Okay. So that's just the impression that I get. Right. Um, well, on the West Coast, he is approached by a famous pornographer, Chicha LaRue. Uh, I think I pronounced that wrong. Shishi LaRue. Okay. Yeah. The real name is Larry David Pacchiotti. He's a drag queen and a producer of the finest adult films. <laughs> Since his modeling career in Los Angeles was not taking off as he had expected, he agrees to appear in the adult film, and Marcus Allen is born. Okay. It was during this time that he'd found himself extremely popular with fans both male and female. He had made appearances in numerous gay and straight adult films and was popular enough to appear on magazine covers as previously mentioned. His reputation would precede him and eventually change his life forever when he meets John Paul Kelso. Now that's the guy he's going to murder. Now, 
let me just uh, rewind for a bit. When yeah. we're talking about the daughter and the, his mother, and you said his sister, his mother and sister, was raising the girl. So, did, so his mother, did he go get her? Or? The daughter is staying with, with the mother at this time. Yeah. Yeah. So even when he's come out here and he's like the sugar baby and shit, she's still with the mother. So the sugar baby stuff didn't start until later. Okay. So this is like at a couple point, of years later. Yet. Yeah. So like at this point, like around, I would say two thousand four and on, he was in Los Angeles filming those those videos. Okay. Now it takes a couple. It sometimes it takes years for for porno movies to come out. They'll film a scene and it'll just be sitting on you know the editing editing room table right. until it's time for it to come out. Right. Um, so it's possible that. You know, during this time, this was all before the sugar daddy stuff. Okay. You know, it wasn't until he moved back to Denver and tried to give up the porn life that um, the whole sugar daddy situation okay. came into play. Okay. So, the I guess my initial question was the daughter has always been with the mother. The daughter was, from what I understand, and this is, again, from... Um, from that lady that did the investigation, which yeah. I'll get into. Okay. Apparently... The daughter was staying with him, and okay. he was taking care of the daughter. However, when he left to Los Angeles, he couldn't take the daughter with him. Right. So the daughter the, would stay with, the, with mother. the mother. He'd always say, you know, I'll be coming out. I'm going to be staying out here another week. I'm going to have to take care of this another week. I'm yeah. trying to get this all handled. Right. You know, he's trying to get everything going. Yeah. And, you know, the family's growing impatient. Like he said, he was only going to be out there for a week. Right. You know what I mean? Like some shit like that. Yeah. Um, okay. I got you. I just wanted to clarify that. J.P. Kelso was initially enamored with Marcus Allen, the man he had recognized from his porno films. Although Timothy J. Boham, the man, was simply a model whose successful adult film career had spiraled out of control. He had never intended to pursue adult entertainment for the long haul. Being understanding of Boham's situation, J.P. Kelso would hire Boham to his debt collecting business. Kelso would often employ young men that he found attractive to keep them close and under his thumb. Kelso enjoyed the power of being wealthy and controlling the people around him, as Timothy Boham would soon find out. It started out as a pay-for-play relationship, with Kelso paying Timothy for late-night favors. It would eventually become a blackmail scenario, with Kelso threatening to tell Boham's girlfriend of the situation, putting Boham in a bind, and brewing bad blood between the two. We are going to go ahead and talk about the murder itself, the night it happened. From what I can understand, J.P. Kelso uh, arranged a time for them to get together, and it was during this time that Timothy J. Boham had planned to steal his, his safe. He had a safe. He was planning on stealing it or finding a way to get it open or convince him to open it because he assumed that there was, well, what he thought was $400,000 inside this safe of this wealthy man's house. Mm. And he was seeing this guy regularly, so he kind of had a, a feeling that he could just go ahead and, and try to rob him. Right. Did, do you, did you ever come across why he has this specific amount? Like 400000 is very specific. That's what he thought was in the safe. He thought there was going to be 100000 to $400,000 okay. within the safe. So there was a range. Okay. Um, but the tension between Timothy J. Boham and J.P. Kelso had been building. The situation itself had become out of Boham's control. What had started as a way to make money to support his daughter and girlfriend became a real pickle, uh, with Boham finding himself in the thick of the same lifestyle he was trying to escape. Mm. Knowing that Kelso was a, was a wealthy man, he had been seen numerous times putting cash into his personal safe at home. 
The details of that night are kept secret by Bohem, and he refuses to share the details, even to investigative journalists. Detectives have speculated that the attempted robbery of Kelso turned into a struggle, ending with Bohem shooting Kelso in the back of the head. Ballistics show that the body was moved from the living room in his Cherry Creek home to the bathtub, where the police had found the body left to bleed out. It was actually one of Kelso's male housekeepers that found the body and was mortified, fleeing the house in a panic and phoning the police. Mm. Now, um, there's also a note uh, in here that J.P. Kelso only hired male helpers because he always wanted someone around, and he didn't trust women. He hated women, by many accounts. (laughs) So... That's weird. So he's just this this sassy rich gay guy <laughs> that just acts like a total bitch. <clears throat> okay. But after shooting J.P. Kelso in the back of the head and absconding with Kelso's safe, he was assured that he would be able to use the money to start a new life with his girlfriend in South America. Instead of finding the $400,000 that he was expecting to find in the safe, it was completely empty. Oh, my God. Save for two vehicle titles. Oh, my God. A thief and a murderer, Timothy Boham knew that he would soon be a wanted man. Uh, He had recently called JP the night of the murder and was also seen on the security cameras the night of the murder. Panicked, he had went to his sister's house and confessed to the crime before packing up and leaving Colorado to Arizona. It was at this point where he realized too late that he might not make it across the border without red flags popping up and submitted to the police turning himself in. Arizona police had extradited Timothy J. Boham back to Colorado, where he would be held in Denver County Jail on Smith Road, <laughs> without bail as he would await trial. His trial was short-lived, and a video of Boham confessing to the murder of J.P. Kelso was played in the courtroom. On top of this, his own mother, his own sister, and his girlfriend testified against him in the trial. Wow. And a girlfriend, huh? Yeah. The murder of J.P. Kelso, which was a pretty famous gay entrepreneur, and this famous gay porn star uh, had an impact on the gay community. The murder conviction of Timothy J. Boham had rippled through the adult film industry, but none were more shook than the gay community, who at the time at the murder had held Marcus Allen in very high regard. In fact, many of the details researching the story were only found when reading articles on gay blogs and websites that I came across. Maybe that's why I never heard of it, huh? Yeah, it's an interesting story. There were details that I found on some of the gay websites that um, I didn't find anywhere else. And I'll actually get into that as well. Okay. I'm actually at the point in my story where I do talk about my sources. Okay. Now, one of the biggest sources I found was from this woman named Donna Thomas. And she (laughs) talks just like this. (laughs) Donna Thomas. She's a true crime author and investigative journalist who knew J.P. Kelso before his murder and actually met Timothy Boham and, um, you know, interviewed him multiple times in order to write her book, uh, which is called Intended for Mature Audiences. And it's basically the story of Timothy J. Boham and how he went about going through the gay porn industry and meeting J.P. Kelso and eventually what I would probably say is desperation or you know, mania or panic killed J.P. Kelso. It's also something that uh, Donna Thomas said that kind of stuck with me is that, you know, she knew the guy, and apparently he was a white-collar criminal. He was known for doing embezzlement. The company that he opened to do collections, he couldn't even own himself because of his criminal record with finance. 
Uh, so he was a, sh- a shysty guy. Yeah. It was also said that he was big on doing drugs, namely cocaine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that whole uh, lifestyle that Timothy J. Boham kind of got swept into, you know, th- th- we don't have sources on that. It's right. something that he refuses to talk about, first of all. And second of all, their investigators were only left at the crime scene. Okay. And he was on the camera, so he became suspect number one right off right off the bat. Mm. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, Donna Thomas. Good source. Intended for mature audiences is the story <laughs> of this. Okay. Um, I also found a really good uh, Rocky Mountain News article. Rocky Mountain News. Rest in peace. Haven't heard that in a minute, huh? I know. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Rocky Mountain News article, yeah. I can only find it using uh, the Wayback Machine. Right. Um, which is the only way to get details on some of these stories. Yeah. You know, we're using every resource we have, which isn't a whole lot. Right. But that was very handy. Donna Thomas. <laughs> she sounds like she smokes cigarettes and yeah. drinks a lot of coffee. <laughs> okay. But she's wrote other uh, crew crime stories, too, and she's pretty good. Like, her details are pretty juicy. Her finger on the pulse of this story, for sure. But anyway, so he's in jail. Timothy J. Boham is in jail. He's been convicted of murder, first degree, of killing uh, J.P. Kelso. He now identifies as a woman. What? And has been moved to a female facility. That, uh, we'll come, I'll come, we'll come back We'll come to back that. to that. We'll come back. I didn't find any information about any sort of actual sex change or if he's doing like hormonal therapy or something but it does appear that he has eyebrows tattooed on his face now and a bunch of other tats too really yeah like neck tats and shit he's like a goth chick but now he's a chick yeah so he's been moved to a female facility and i actually found that fact on this guy named dennis cooper he's another writer i found that on his blog as a fact and that was the only place i was able to find that fact but there's photos and we'll be posting those photos on our Instagram. Okay. So you'll be able to see the, the transformation of how a guy goes from a troubled upbringing to, you know, a man who worked in porn and kind of was on top when it all went down. Yeah. By all accounts, um, J.P. Kelso is a person. He kind of put him in a bind with the whole snitching to his girl about the situation yeah. that they had. And he was paying him for sex. Right. And this Donna Thomas lady was saying things like he was a, like a repulsive, overweight man that had to pay for sex. <laughs> yeah. By all accounts, he was a, like a very rotten person. Yeah. And, you know, it's like somebody like that can still be a victim. Victimhood doesn't necessarily change who a person is anyways. You're right. I don't believe that anything that happened the way it did is justified. Of right. course, of course it isn't. Of course. Of course it isn't. Of course. Murder's never justified, but I agree with you. But there's one more thing I wanted to talk about. The daughter. The daughter. Now, the daughter, I wasn't able to find two things in this case specifically without really reaching, and I just simply didn't have time to pan out these details. The name of his girlfriend and the name of his daughter. Yeah. Name of his mother is on is is available. Okay. Um, I like to think that her daughter went to a safe place. Yeah. Somewhere that was probably better. I feel like for in the end upbringing. of this whole thing, she's like the true victim in it all. Yeah. You know because yeah. her mother is dead, and she's like with this father who was trying to take care of her, but he's like fucked off himself. You know. Uh huh. Very interesting detail that I found out about Timothy J. Boham. 
post all this shit. Okay. So this is another Donna Thomas gym. Yeah. So she apparently found out that when he was living in Los Angeles, like he wasn't living like a conservative, oh, I live in a studio apartment by myself, like sort of life. Like he was living it up. Yeah. And he was trying to live lavish. And he was trying to do like the L.A. scene thing. Yeah. Well, and sure. bouncing back between Denver and trying to take care of his daughter. And that kind of desperation and that need to, to kind of work, get things together quick turned yeah. into his porno career, which, you know, obviously he probably was, he was doing modeling before, but he just kind of fell into it. And I guess sometimes it happens, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. So you had got to have a, a get rich quick. But that's the thing, though. Yeah. Because it's like, if you got a daughter to take care of. He was driving, like, so he had, like, um, like expensive sports cars right. in L.A. Custom and he made. had two, well, no, 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 this is, this oh. is, this is Timothy J. Boham. Yeah. Yeah, that was the other guy. Yeah. The other guy had the custom-made Bentley. Bentley. He was the high roller. Right. But I feel like this Timothy J. Boham guy got real big real quick, and he thought he was a hot shot and started splurging on all this. Right. All these necessities going back and forth. Yeah. From the way that I understood the whole situation. Yeah. You know? Makes sense. He was trying to make lots of money quick. Yeah. But it sucked him back in, you know? And, like, living that type of lifestyle, like, I'm not trying to blame him for the situation that he found himself in because, you know, we all make our own choices. Right. While he was working for J.P. Kelso in, like, collections, he was terrible at it. He always had, like, a, a short fuse and, like, a temper. Yeah. So he couldn't work with people. Right. In fact, it was holding him back in porn. Mm-hmm. It was holding him back in modeling. And it held him back his whole life because he had, you know, these issues with growing up the way he did and feeling the way he did and being put in the situation that he was put in. Donna Thomas is convinced that this is a gay man and he was living a gay man lifestyle and it's like no 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 like I I kind of understand it's like no he's a he's a bisexual yeah and he's just trying to deal with that imagine like ten years ago what that's like for him so I sympathize on that level yeah I kind of understand that whole struggle a little bit better but that doesn't justify murder nothing justifies being able to take somebody else's life in cold blood right and then moving their body to a bathtub yeah I think the point I really wanted to to put onto it is like he was he wanted it all he got greedy. You know, he had a he had a daughter he needed to take care of. He later found himself with with a girlfriend that he was trying to move on with and live his life, but he got greedy. Yeah. He could have figured something else out. How did he determine that there was a thousand, hundred thousand to four hundred thousand in save? Like No, by his own account he had seen JP Kelso taking money out of that. He was seeing him taking drugs out of it. Yeah. So, you know, he was his sugar baby, so he was hanging out all the time, and they were doing drugs. So they were he having figured sex. he got to have something in there worth killing the motherfucker for. And you should look in there first before you kill the person. I don't know what happened. I think he may have tried to convince him to open the safe or convince him to give him the code. Yeah. He got shot in the back of the head. For nothing, essentially. And that's what um, Timothy Boham said, that he basically did it for nothing. He basically killed him for nothing. Yeah. But it's just like, even if he did get away with the money, you still killed him. Right. That still would be on you. Yeah, you know definitely. I mean? And it makes it ten times worse that you did it for nothing. <laughs> now you in prison, and now he's dead, and now you was doing all this for your daughter, and you know, 
Like I said, she's a true victim. Uh, the good thing was that in J.P. Kelso's death, they opened up a donation foundation. You can donate to the J.P. Kelso Foundation, and uh, it'll go to the Children's Hospital. Okay. Well, that's, so at least that's, a, that's something good. Very noble cause, yeah. The whole, like, in-jail sex change thing was kind of weird. Yeah. Because, like, if you go online, you could see him with these, like, fucking chola <laughs> eyebrows. <laughs> Some shit he drew out with a sharpie. No, he had someone in prison do it. But they, oh my god! But they look fucking tacky as shit. Like you said, we put a pin in it and come back to it. Are we coming back to it now? We can talk about whatever you want. Okay, so do you think that his sex change thing was a tactic to get out of a male prison? You know, it's funny that you bring that up. I did think that for a second. I think maybe in prison, being a gay porn star, he was probably... You know, thrown around quite a Getting bit. fucked. And, you know, he wasn't really, you know, he had a temper, but he wasn't really, like, a big dude. He was, like, you know, slender and muscular, right. but he wasn't, like, you know, he wasn't a boss. <laughs> you know? He wasn't. Yeah, so that's when you first said that I'm, like, I'm, my mind is going two different ways on that. Like, is he doing that so that he can get out <coughs> of the male prison? <coughs> One. And two, that gives theory to what you were saying about... <coughs> <laughs> this uh, Donna Thompson, where she's like convinced that he's a gay man, because if he's gonna be changing his, you know, changing his sex, then maybe deep down inside he always was. Well, I don't know. It's crazy because like him being a gay man outside of the prison system, yeah, he could live his life. But like in the prison system as a gay man, I think he probably would have a reputation. Yeah. For his porn career, first of all, first of all, first of all, which is yeah. accessible to everyone, including yeah. prisoners. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be real. Yeah, those fuckers are accessible to everything. Don't be full. So yeah, I think I think the pressure of that is what drove him to identify as a woman because it doesn't say anything about sex change. I think it's something that he jumped through a legal hoop to get out of the prison system. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that he had to do that. Because maybe he does identify as a woman, but maybe he doesn't identify as a woman, which is, you know, either way, that's desperate. That's yeah, desperation. It so. is. I don't know. It's a it's a very it's a very human story. There's a lot out there. There's like a lot of there's like a lot of information about this out there. There's like the book, the audio book, okay. all these pornos that he was in. Like that's all <laughs> that's like all evidence to what this person's life became. Right. You know, I don't I don't know. I think it's kind of impressive. It's kind of telling. Another another tale of desperation from the spider and the fly. Wow. Well, that was a good one. I never heard of that one. Uh, for it to be like, you know, so recent for you, and you know, but still like two thousand nine or whatever. Like, that's fairly fucking recent. I never, I never. Yeah, uh, and actually, there was an article written by this Donna Thomas lady in two thousand fourteen. Okay. And it wasn't until I seen this nothing that she said. I think she wrote her book. She went and got her money. She made money off the story. It wasn't until after she did all that and corresponded with Timothy J. Boham that he did the sex change thing or identified as a woman. Mm. Yeah. It, do it doesn't say anything about, like, an actual physical sex change, you know. But I'm, he identifies as a woman. I, I'm like, I feel like it's a tactic to get out of the men prison. Who's to say? Who's to say? No one knows for sure except for him, right? But it makes sense. Her. Oh, except for her. What's the name that she goes by? Couldn't now? find it. 
Really? I looked. I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it. I don't know if he took a female name. Okay. Oh. So he's a female whose still name is Timothy? I don't know. <laughs> I couldn't find information. on. I couldn't find information on that. I couldn't find information on the daughter. Couldn't find information on the girlfriend. Okay. Maybe I just didn't dig deep enough. Right. But it does matter. It does matter, because I would like to know what happened to the daughter. It doesn't matter in the case of Timothy J. Boham, but I do hope that, you know, she found a place that's better than the situation that she was in. Agreed. That's well, That's all we hope for on this show. Yeah. And, you know, we'd, we'd like to demonstrate that there are other victims in this who probably weren't directly murdered, obviously, but impacted. Yeah. You know, it impacted communities. It impacted the gay community. Right. It impacted a lot of people who were I mean, invested in these people. Poor girl. Like I said, like her mother's dead. Her dad did this thing. And now he's like identifying as a woman. And, you know, like well, where are her parents in this? I hope that the grandmother and the auntie, like I, if she's staying with them anyway, because, you know, obviously we don't know. Yeah. But I hope that they were like positive and uh, nurturing people because yep. I would imagine that she needs that. And then on top of all that, she's mixed. You know, so <clears throat> well, I, would I, hope. I hope so because the the impression that I got from the mother, at least while he, um, while Timothy was in Los Angeles, she was a bit of a burden on the family. Yeah, unfortunately, that's just the the truth of the situation. Yeah, and it makes me sad thinking about it. Anything else? Any other questions? I think I'm good. Yeah, just uh, blown away to do all this and no money. I know. You know, well, what people do in the name of cash. We could start making t-shirts or something. <laughs> That's quite all right. <laughs> I don't know if we're there yet, but... All right, so um, President Biden. President no, no Biden, sounds good. You know, let's let's move on as a, as a country, and hopefully people don't get out of control. Like, things have, have already... Things are already out of control. Yeah. There's really not a point poking fun at it or nothing, but... I think we all can say because a lot of the people that stormed the Capitol were white. They were handled much differently. Oh, absolutely. And it's really just a shame that anything like that happened in the first place. Like, we're not here to, like, point fingers or anything like that. There are extremists on all sides of every issue. So let's not just lose ourselves on just, like, the extreme actions of this one group of people because for every action, there's a reaction. Yeah, I agree. The reaction in that thing... (laughs) was people going to jail, you know what I'm saying, and multiple investigations. So I hope it was all worth it, and I just hope and pray for a good inauguration. That is a good piece of cake for this shit year that we just came out of. Yeah. That we get somebody who has the American people in the best interest of the American people. You know, it's not a, a fucking show that he's running, so... Good piece of cake. I'm very happy for it. It's a fucking cherry on top. Mm-hmm. Kamala Harris is mm-hmm. the first black vice president, woman, black woman vice president. This world wasn't ready for Hillary, so I hope they give her a chance. You know what I'm saying? If anything of this year with the Black Lives Matter and everything coming out and, you know, people of color, period, being recognized and being able to voice an opinion is... Great, and I'm glad there's finally a time in our lives and our history where it could be where people of color are in the spotlight for a change in a good way, you know, in a good light. So that is a good piece of cake and a cherry 
for this fucking shit year we just came out of. Yeah, everyone's struggling out there. Things are going to get better. There's always something on the horizon, even when it seems like things are extremely dark. And that's something you got to keep in mind. Don't lose hope. If you have access to addressing your mental health, please do. Please do. Um, especially during these uh, these dark times. Absolutely. So Everybody should seek mental health for black people. And I would also say... People of color, period. Men, it's important to address your mental health and talk to somebody about it. So you should never feel ashamed or embarrassed to do it because you, you know, it can really save your life. All right. It's a good piece of cake. Yeah. I'm pretty comfortable putting it in our show. Indeed. Me too. Pretty good. Pretty good. Mm -hmm. (sighs) You know, I love my cores. (laughs) Yeah. My banquet. Banquet. As you, was that a forty? It's not. It's like more like a thirty. <laughs> it's the the, the growler. Mm. Cool. Like, you know what? This would be perfect. Cool, cool. cool, cool. All right. Well, yes. let's take a pen. It let's is perfect. Fork in it. Hey, you haven't done your shot yet. You don't slam your shot. No, but I have been sipping it, and I have a whole cup. Like Rachel mm-hmm. Ray say, a, a fat glass of wine. Rachel Ray's got a fat ass. <laughs> Anyways, thank you. Um, if you have like listened to all four of our episodes, we truly appreciate it. Thank you very much for doing it, and thanks for sticking with us and listening. That's all I can say. Yeah, and keep your eye out on our Instagram. You can find us on YouTube. For the time being, that's all we're really interested in kind of promoting on. So reach out to us. Keep your eyes peeled. And hey, let's do one final cheers to the victims of our stories. To the victims of our stories. Um, and to us and to everybody, hoping and wishing us all a better fucking year. Oh, oh gross. Gross. It's delicious. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Have a good night or day or whatever. Playing us out yet again. Final boss. All right.
Thank you.